guess we can do a little bit of a, this is our first episode, just acknowledging that this is our first episode. Yes, our first episode. The first of many. The first of many, many, many. I would, I'd like to talk about my experiences in Bali mm-hmm. of Balinese herbal medicine. Um, and I'm assuming that other naturopaths and herbalists will be interested in this because um, they have a fascinating tradition that goes back, well, probably centuries. Mm. And predominantly the medicine that they use in Bali comes from Java. And, yeah, so there's a lot of crossover between uh, Indonesian herbal medicine Javanese herbal medicine and Balinese herbal medicine. Right. The, the difference is, though, that um, because of other sort of cultural changes and things, what they have in Bali tends to be what was used in Java 400 years ago. And it hasn't really mm. evolved much more than that. Right, okay. So, yeah. like, quite traditional. Quite traditional, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, so much so that it took me oh, probably a week to really get the information that I was after because people didn't know what I was talking about. Obviously, there's a language barrier. Mm. I don't speak much Bahasa other than thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Which is? <laughs> Which is... Oms. Oh, no, no, no. Saksuma. Saksuma. <laughs> I don't even know that I've got that correct. Um, so, good morning is om swasiastu. Oh. Thank you is suksama. Goodbye. And there are variations on this, but om shanti 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 om. Oh. Which is, it's goodbye, but it's also a blessing. Yeah, right. So their spiritual beliefs really filter through everything, mm. their their daily life, their culture, what their values, their the way they treat other people, um, the way that they look after each other. Yes. Yeah. You know, and and everything in their day is interspersed with times of prayer yeah. and putting out these little blessings, which are these mm. beautiful little bamboo sort of boxes with a range of different things and apparently there's different things on different days of the week and um and so there might be a little biscuit and uh, like these little tiny crackers somebody (laughs) must make these little tiny crackers and a like a little cup full of um coffee and a cigarette and a flower (laughs) and some rice on a little bamboo leaf and they're all um for I'm not sure ancestors or gods because right. I kind of got the same vibe from vibe both from of those. Both. Yeah. yeah, and and kind of the same answer. Yeah. Anyway, those these little blessings are put out multiple times of the day, yeah. and they can be anywhere. They'll be on the footpaths. They're in front of uh, religious statues. They can be out the front of houses and businesses to bless the business. And, yeah. 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 It's, Fascinating. Wow. So, and so I'm curious. Just on that, how much do you think the infusion of like that kind of everyday spirituality into their culture contributes to their overall wellness and like what you just from what you observed? Yeah, enormous. Um, and it was it was one of the things that I think about a week into it, it just really hit me 
that these people, for all that they are not wealthy, they mm. are they are desperately poor in terms of material things, in yeah. terms of money and and objects. Predominantly, they're really really poor, but they have connection to family. Mm. They have connection to community. Um, they have a very deep connection to their spiritual beliefs. Yeah. And and it is the fabric that holds them together, you know, and they they know that if they if something happens to them, they can go to the neighbours mm. and the neighbours will help. Mm. Whatever it is, they know that somebody will help. There's also one of their beliefs is um, of, of showing compassion to all people mm. and that really rings through as well too because it doesn't matter who you are they will treat you with compassion yeah and which are, you don't get everywhere no at no, all no <laughs> and I, I had to explain to one of the drivers that in melbourne as as a woman i, I couldn't walk around melbourne at night on my own and feel safe yeah and he could not understand why i wouldn't feel safe like what would happen and i i said well you know terrible things could happen i could be i could be robbed i could be raped i could be murdered yeah you know it's it's not likely to happen but there's there's always the possibility of it um whereas the only chance of that happening i think in bali is really from opportunistic tourists that are there it's yeah. it's not from the balinese people themselves yeah right they're very strong beliefs about reincarnation and karma yeah so you know even even if they f- were wanting to do that yeah <laughs> they wouldn't yeah oh i think that's so cool just because and you know obviously we know all about the impact of you know the sort of crossover between mental health emotional health spiritual beliefs like that and how the inner landscape of like your thoughts and your beliefs and your feelings towards other people how much that can impact mm. your physical health and like if they're walking around with that sense of like just compassion as a default for everyone yeah i imagine their health would be very different to what we're used to in western Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I I was thinking about it too, that in terms of that acute versus chronic, you know, when we think about disease states, um, they, they do get sick. Yeah. But it's acute. Yeah. You know, and, and they can die and they can have not uh, the level of medical care necessarily. I mean, they obviously do have really good hospitals and medical centres there, but the average person can't afford that kind of medical care. Right. Yeah. Um, and they don't have the government support, you know, systems that we have. They don't. They don't have um, social security. And, yeah. You know, um, and so people can die from from these illnesses. But their constitution yeah. is very strong. You see them, they, they're quite robust and healthy looking people. They work hard. They sleep well. Yeah. They eat well. Um, they eat food that they can grow. Mm. They eat food that um, is 
local and seasonal and grown in the area. Yeah. And, you know, all those elements we're talking about all the time with, yeah. with our patients. And they just naturally do that. And also the herbal medicine, to, yeah. to swing back around to it. Yeah. Herbal medicine is part of their food. Yeah, right, right. It's not this separate thing. No. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just embedded in the diet. Yeah. 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 So when I was asking people about what their herbal medicine traditions are, Mm. I was getting a lot of blank stares and confused looks. Mm. Uh, I tried to explain that I'm a naturopath. Uh, I ended up saying someone suggested to me uh, it's, you know, it's a bit like Ayurveda. So there's quite a strong influence there through the, the, the Hinduism. Yeah. They have a, a, a tradition of Ayurvedic medicine there as well. Right. And so they understand that. So I said, I'm kind of like an Ayurveda <laughs> doctor, but different. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I started to get some traction there. Yeah. Uh, and then we started talking about herbs and I found out about Jammu. Mm, and, and I'm s- sipping on some right now. <laughs> <laughs> and Jammu changed everything for me. Mm. Um, and I'd, I'd heard about it before from, from when my son was in Bali um, at the end of last year. And he actually, he got very sick. Um, it may well have been dengue fever. We don't know because mm. um, you don't get tested until you're about day three, apparently. Oh, okay. Um and one of the things that he was given, uh, amongst uh, a, a range of things, but one of them was to drink Jammu each day. And, and was that recommended by, like, a doctor doctor? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. See, and you, you wouldn't get something like that here if you went no. to a GP or saw a doctor in a hospital for, like, <laughs> acute... No. I want you to go home and I want you to boil up some turmeric and some ginger... <laughs> And make a drink out of it. Yeah. 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 No, no, no. no. Oh, okay. All so, right. So tell us more about the, okay, the Jammu. So, yeah. so Jammu is not one thing. And Jammu also can sort of in general terms mean medicine as well. Like a sort, oh. of, sort of a broad term. Oh, I love that. Okay. Yeah. But Jammu the drink, mm. uh, its basis is essentially turmeric and ginger, mm. but this is where the nuance comes in. <laughs> because they have more than one type of turmeric. Yeah. They have more than one type of ginger. Mm. They have more than one type of galangal. Yeah. Um, and so you, you start off with the, the standard turmeric, the mm. curcuma longa, um, and uh, the standard ginger, as we know it in Australia, the zinjiba um, officinala. Aficionalis? Uh, uh, anal. I think it's just aficional. Aficionalis. Yeah. Um, uh, but they also have temulawak, which mm. is another form of turmeric. Right. And the flavour is kind of more earthy. Mm. Um, it seems to have maybe less of the oils in there. Uh, its Latin name is curcuma xanthariza. Okay. Um, and it has a really strong heritage um, for use by the Balinese for all sorts of right. conditions. That specific species. That specific species, right. yeah. I also suspect that it's used in the incense because what I realised, uh-huh. that incense that's burned with the blessings that is everywhere, yeah. that just permeates 
everything when you're there and you, it's kind of the smell of barley. Yeah. Uh, when I got home um, and I, I had the smell of the Temulawak, instantly realised that that's also used in the, in the incense. In the incense. Is this something that you may or maybe didn't notice? Like, is this growing freely? Like, is this grown very easily in the barley climate or...? I think so, yeah. Okay. I mean, anything would grow in a tropical climate with volcanic soil like that. Right, have. okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the areas that I was... Um, oh, well, I was in Semenyak, uh, Changu. I went to Sanu and Ubud. Mm-hmm. I plan to go back and explore all of the other parts. Yeah. Um, but uh, in the urban areas, there's no room to grow anything. It's they're, right. they're crammed in, and it's um, the traffic is mad, and yeah. there's you know buildings everywhere. People probably grow things in their own homes and backyards and things. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if Temalawak is just one of the things that they grow. But I don't know that. Right. Okay. Cool. 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 Yeah. And was yeah. it in the urban environments where I think you were sending me some pictures where to a degree the plants were sort of making their way through the cityscape and yeah. like just growing freely but not not in like a farm abundant kind of way but no just it's just uh, i always have in the back of my head my head you know plants will always win yeah nature will always win and and it was an example of that like on the walls of the temples and on mm. the on the statues there's you know, moss and, and these little yeah. trees growing and ferns and there's ferns growing out of every every orifice and every yeah. gap, you know. Like they make their way through, even though it's intense urban conditions, yeah. they they make it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's beautiful. Mm. It's, it's really lovely. Yeah. So, um, so back to the herbal medicine mm. and the jamu. Um, they've also got... Oh, multiple versions of ginger and some of this is made difficult to understand because they have there are indonesian names for things there are mm-hmm. javanese names for things there are balinese names for things mm. there's a common name which can vary depending on who you're talking to right. and then okay. there's the latin names as well so it, it it's difficult to understand which one is which yeah um, and perhaps it's only herbalists that really want to, you know, dissect it to that sort of level. But, yeah. Um, so what we have is, uh, so uh, Kunia is Cucuma domestica. Um, Temugiring is Cucuma henea. Temulawek, Cucuma xanthariza. Um uh, in the Galangal, we have Lenkuas, and I apologise to anybody <laughs> if I'm ruining your language for you. Uh, that's the Greater Galangal, so that's the one oh, that we know here right. as Galangal. Right, okay, the only one. Yep. Um, uh, Languas Galangala, mm. I suppose that's pronounced. Uh, then there's Kenkur, Resurrectionly, which is Camphoria Galangala. Oh, uh, and that's that's used. That appears to be using quite a lot of different medicines as well. Right. Okay. Mm. Um, with ginger, there's Lempuang Pat, which is the bitter ginger, Zingiber Americans. Oh. There's Lempuang Wangi, 
or wangi, Zingiber aromaticum, and then jahi, which is common ginger, the one we know, yep. uh, Zingiber officinalis. There's also surti, which is Zingiber officinalis, uh, uh, the variety of rubrum. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's it's fascinating. I suspect that there were probably even more um, turmerics and gingers and galangals and even other herbs. Yeah. Um, that we just don't have here. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. And or and that we just don't like know about or just aren't just aren't common knowledge at all. Yeah. 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 That are just growing and living their life and have all these benefits, but we're just <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But um so so this this basis, so you have the, this this base of turmeric and ginger. Mm-hmm. Uh and then to that they would add things like tamarind, mm-hmm. licorice root, mm. um beetle leaf, um mm. beetle nut sometimes. Oh, okay. Um uh star anise um and the recipes seem to change it's a bit like a spaghetti bolognese it yeah. depends which nonna you speak to you know yeah. <laughs> everyone's got a family recipe yeah. everyone's got a recipe that they use for whatever condition yeah um there's a lot of talk about jamu being something that can enhance uh, sexual performance for men oh okay um, and so a lot of women make jamu um, and give it to their husbands right. because, you know, and then, I don't know, for a multitude of reasons. Yeah. I imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, for, there was a lot of talk about the use of it for period pain. Yep. Um, uh, for pain in general. And, and as a general wellness tonic, mm-hmm. uh, every time I said jamu to someone they would say oh it's very healthful for you it's very good for your health <laughs> i love that that's even a term that we don't really use yeah here. helpful yeah, yeah. Helpful. yeah. yeah. so uh, um yeah it's fascinating and then of course all of these herbs are used in their cooking yeah and yeah. in their daily life yeah and in their incense um, and then the other thing that they have that's a very strong tradition is to use all of these herbs in um, topical applications yeah. as a scrub. Right, okay. So um, also with capsaicin is another one yep. that they, they might add in there. So they might grind up the herbs, um, mix it with uh, Balinese salt, Mm. and uh, maybe some clay Yep. and wet it to make a paste and rub it on the affected part of the body. Yeah. And then they leave it to dry and then wash it off. Oh, how cool is that? I know. So these herbs and the use of herbal medicine, even though they don't have, uh, even though it wasn't easy to like translate, you know, herbal medicine from English um, to their languages, it, permeates like all aspects of like their life like the the spiritual sense like in terms of the incense and the offerings using it topically for skincare using Mm. it for probably for flavoring food but also for health benefits in food and then using it as like its own separate entity of like this is a healthful drink like this is yeah take this when you're sick or whatever yeah 
that's so cool. Yeah. So cool. And there are these um, uh, women, or I think it's predominantly women. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know that it's exclusively women mm-hmm. uh, who will make batch big batches of jamu overnight. Yeah. Pour it into bottles. Put it into these incredibly heavy baskets. <laughs> <laughs> And carry them around and dispense this medicine. Wow. So they will, they'll sell it to people. You know, here's your daily shot. Here's your daily shot. How good is that? Yeah. They'll go out in the morning. They'll make a batch during the day. They'll go out at night. Yeah. So people uh, travelling to and from their workplaces can can buy fresh jamu. Yeah. I just love it. Could you, I just love it. Could you imagine <laughs> someone like carting around fresh jamu like in the in Melbourne CBD? Like, you know, at, at 8.30 <laughs> in the morning, like while everyone's running to the office. Let's like, how? do it. Let's do it. We, oh, <laughs> we should do that. We should do that. Like, I mean, how, how much could that change health on a collective level? I, I, I just can't imagine. I mean, you look at them, you look at them, them, the, the beautiful Balinese people. Yeah. Um, they, they just radiate health. Yeah, and they're in an environment where they're always immersed in, like in the in the urban areas, certainly. Yeah. And even in some of the country areas, because the traffic is mad. Yeah. Just mad everywhere. But so they're just covered in the, the exhaust of two-stroke scooters. I think they're two-stroke. Yeah, right. Okay. Oh, gosh. So there's exhaust fumes everywhere. Yeah. Um, but they just, they're just beaming with health all yeah. the time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I have, I have a couple of questions. Mm. On the jamu, mm. uh, I'm curious about the actual process as uh, as much as you know in in terms of fresh ingredients. Is it cooked? You know that kind of stuff. And then if we can tap into a different part of your brain, the naturopathic brain, knowing the ingredients, I'm curious to know what you what you think's happening on like a physical level in terms of how these herbs in this jamu recipe is conferring health benefits, but start off, I reckon start off with the process. Okay. The process, the process. And I think again, there's variation with recipes from one to another. Mm -hmm. I had a very kind woman called Ririn who was so excited that I wanted to know about Jammu, that she made me some. Yay. <laughs> so cool. Um, and brought it into work. And then I, I realised sort of afterwards that she works a million hours a day. And she took an hour out of her day to talk to me about Jammu. That's and so then cool. she said, I'm so sorry, I really have to go. I have to have a meeting with my with my staff because she's running a cafe, a busy cafe. Oh, gosh. And she'd been waiting to finish talking to me before. <sighs> oh, so generous. Wow. Um. Anyway, so Ririn made me some, and it tastes exactly the same as the recipe I tried when I got home. Yeah. So um, you you take uh, it's approximately forty six grams of fresh turmeric, mm-hmm. forty six grams of fresh ginger, mm-hmm. um, washed, chopped, mm-hmm. um, roughly but into small pieces. Yep. Um, boil it for about 30 minutes. Um, Do you keep the outer layer on? 
Or do you yeah, peel yeah, them? Yeah, yeah, you don't peel them. No, cool. no, no. That, that's apparently traditional to keep the skin on. Yep. Um, then you uh, take it off the stove uh, and then you throw in other ingredients. Now, I know that if I was making something with licorice root, it's mm-hmm. you've got to use a decoction anyway because yep. it's a, a hard root. So I put the licorice, I put licorice, uh, some star anise. Yep. And I had dried temulawak that I brought with um, me. Yep. So I put that in there. And I also had some of the um, the spicy red ginger oh. that, uh, again, dried. So I put those in yep. and boiled them. Cool. Strain it off. Add your tamarind. Mm-hmm. Add your beta leaf and your soft herbs then. Yep. Um a good three tablespoons of honey. Okay, yeah. Um, it's it's quite bitter anyway. Yeah. Uh, the honey just tends to take the edge off that. Yeah. Um, pinch of raw sea salt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you blend it. Cool. So um, now I imagine the traditional recipe is actually would be smashing up the herbs. Yeah, manually. Um, yeah. They use a lot of mortar and pestle. Yep. So, um, so yeah, high speed high speed blender works really well. It turns it yellow. Yeah. It will never be any other color. Yep. So <laughs> goodbye to your Vitamixes, your Nutribullets. If you're really concerned, then buy yourself a special yeah. Nutribullet for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In terms of high speed blenders, too, just a note. Um, just because I sort of looked into this at one point. Vitamix is right up the top. Mm-hmm. I think Blend Tech is right up the top. They're kind of two horsepower blenders. So they're Ooh. really high speed. They will pulverize a piece of two before if you put it in there. Mm. Don't recommend doing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, for, for grinding up... Um, particular woody herbs yeah it's really really good a nutri bullet is about 750 watts and so it's a, it's quite a step down right but it's kind of value for money yeah it's actually quite good okay it's not going to grind it up to the same degree as a vitamix will but it's still pretty good yeah okay so um, so yeah, if you were worried about turning your Vitamix yellow, um, <laughs> then uh, you could buy yourself either a separate um, jug for it or a Nutribullet. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you strain it off um, and refrigerate it. Haven't quite worked out what to do with the mark yet because there's quite a lot of it left over. And well, could that be applied to like skincare? Could that be used as a kind of poultice or... I did wonder that. Yeah. 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 If you wanted to turn your skin bright yellow. Bright yellow. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. There's yeah. nuance layers. Yeah. There, is a, <laughs> there is a tradition of women using the turmeric topic, topically, rubbing it on their skin to brighten oh. their skin. But they have lovely, you know, chocolatey brown. Yeah. Golden brown skin yeah. anyway. So... The melanin is different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we just end up being yellow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not quite the same result. Okay. No. Um, yeah, so I think there could be a use for the mark. I just haven't worked it out yet. Alex suggested that I dehydrate it and add it to curries as a powder. 
Oh, which is a great idea. It's a fantastic idea. Yeah. But I haven't done yet. And and also, if I'm making a batch a week, that's a lot of mark. Yeah. And we don't have that many curries. Yeah. Maybe he's just trying to get me to make more curries. More curry. Maybe that's the that's the message that's coming across. Before before you jump into the naturopathic brain of it, actually, I do just want to say, so Julie very generously made me a batch. Um, I've just been recovering from a weird kind of head cold turned laryngitis kind of thing. And I'm curious to know your thoughts as well. And you did mention something to me, but like drinking it, and, and let this be known, I'm a fussy eater in terms of tastes, in terms of textures. I am a fussy eater, especially for a naturopath. This was just so easy to drink. So 60 mil, I think you said diluted in water, although it's easy oh, to have more than that. Oh, you, you don't, don't have to. You di- don't have to dilute it. Oh, no, okay. No. Some people, some people do, and you can buy it in shops. Yeah. Much diluted. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. it would. Yeah. I feel like that would be expensive if you're. Yeah. Putting it in stronger. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, easy to drink. Like a little bit bitter. Looks like orange juice. Does not taste like orange juice. <laughs> um, but yeah, when you drink it, just this kind of like, very uplifting. Yeah. Very. You know, I don't want to don't want to overuse the word, but very like cleansing kind of vibe. Like it just feels clean and nice to be in my system. Yeah. 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 It feels very brightening, enlivening, like that kind of. Yeah. yeah. Is yeah. that what what's your experience when oh, you take absolutely. it? Absolutely. I so I had chronic fatigue syndrome many years ago now, and I've always kind of felt that you know like like a mobile phone when its battery gets old mm-hmm. that i just don't hold charge as well yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and despite all of the healing that i've done i just couldn't quite get that last little bit so if i go for a run mm-hmm. and i just you know go a bit too hard yeah i, I i'll crash a bit yeah energy wise but since having since having the job, <laughs> I I just felt like I I've got more energy now. I feel like I'm back to a hundred percent energy. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. And hold, do you feel like you're holding the charge a little bit longer yeah. potentially? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And also, maybe also being in Bali for three weeks would help with that as well. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Opened up the reserve a little <laughs> bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the thing that you know there are multiple confounders there yeah i i ate really well i had a fairly easy time even though i was doing work while i was there yeah um life is just more relaxing there it's much more stress-free so yeah yeah so there was that too but um i did i did find that i was able to go for a run Mm. like three days back from when I was still technically um, jet jet lagged, yeah. So I still felt jet lagged, but I had energy. Yeah, okay. Yep, yep, so, yep. It wasn't like it totally, totally wiped you out, totally threw off balance. You were able to like bounce back relatively quickly. Yeah. And I gotta say, since having the jamu daily, sometimes twice daily, yeah, or more, <laughs> uh, like that was definitely the point where I turned, I turned the corner in. In my unwellness at yeah, the time, in yeah. my respiratory health, that de- and I just like I think that you visited me in the afternoon, and then by that evening I was like, things are shifting. 
Yeah. Yeah, for the better. Yeah. That's awesome. It's interesting. So, all right, getting the naturopathic brains on. Yeah. I think, well, I suspect there's a synergism happening between the herbs because, I mean, we know that um, ginger, uh, licorice Mm. and curcuma are all synergists anyway. Yeah. You know, they're they're things that you would add to herbal mix to lift up the other herbs mm. and, and, and enhance their actions. So putting them all together in one drink yeah. has, has got to, you know, magnify. I'm speculating. I mean, and I didn't think about it in that way, but I think, yeah. Yeah. It, we're u- yeah, we're using the synergists as like a whole formula. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And let's not forget that there are, multiple constituents in turmeric yeah there are multiple constituents in ginger there are Mm. multiple constituents in licorice and all of the other herbs yeah but very few of them have been studied yeah now let's just for some context there when you say constituents an example of that would be curcumin in turmeric yes it's a constituent of turmeric that They've they've just happened to research that constituent and yep. shown uh, demonstrated that it has you know multiple benefits. But there's something to the totality of the plant. Anyway, I'll yeah, I'll leave yeah, that yeah, there. Yeah, but yeah, just yeah. to add context to the constituent conversation, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, for example, mm. curcuma longa, and um, again, this is this refers back to. The research that has been done, yep. not the research that hasn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the actions of that are as an alterative, mm. anti-cancer, anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, antimicrobial, carminative, mm. circ stimu- sim- <laughs> circulatory stimulant, yep. hepatic and choleretic, hypolipidemic, oh. liver trophorostorative and hepatoprotective. Like, <laughs> it's it covers a lot of bases and yeah. a lot of the big default bases where if yeah. someone's in a state of unwellness or they're just wanting to lift their state, that's the kind of stuff you'd want to be looking after. Yeah. The liver. In terms of alternative, if, if you're not sure, a, an alternative herb is one that helps the channels of elimination in your body. Just, you know, I guess another word although this word gets used in a very cliche and markety way, but it helps the detoxification channels yeah. of your body, which yeah. we do have, but not in a gimmicky way. <laughs> not, um, not the gimmicky detox. Yes. No, no, no. Just the legitimate detox that occurs in your body on a yeah. consistent basis. Well, uh, ma- maybe we should talk about those yeah. paths of elimination. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got the, oh, okay. So there's the ones we know about. So there's the, the liver, mm-hmm. and and you would excrete things, um, in your in your feces, in yep. your urine. Yep. Um, so kidneys, liver, bowels, skin when skin, you sweat. Yeah. Yeah. Lymphatic system. Yeah. Which always gets overlooked. I yeah. think. Yep. The underrecognized lymphatic system. Yep. Um. Is that? Did we cover them? I think that's it. Yeah. I think we did. I think we cover them really quickly let us know together. in the comments or in a review if <laughs> yeah. we didn't cover Which all of the <laughs> elimination pathways in the body so that's that's really covering the bases now in terms of liver being elimination path pathway and you also mentioned there 
hepatoprotective and liver tropho-restoratives. Mm. Do you want to mm. touch on those a bit? Um, yeah, but in what way? What, what, Just in what, terms of what, what those words mean. Like what's oh, a... Okay, so, a, yeah. so um, hepatobiliary is liver and um, gallbladder. gallbladder. Yep. Um, so well, there's multiple functions in the liver. It's, it uh, converts basically all of the things that enter our body one way or another yeah. uh, to water-soluble molecules that can be passed through the kidneys and then out yeah. of the body. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the jobs. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so there's, there's, and there's two phases to that as well. There's the phase one and the phase, phase two. two. Yeah. Detox- um, different de- detoxification. You're, even, even in terms of metabolizing your own uh like your own hormones for example the products from your own tissues your liver has the job of metabolizing those making sure they stay balanced and you know don't get out of whack there Uh, producing cholesterol recycling red blood cells Mm -hmm. storing iron Mm -hmm. storing glycogen Mm -hmm. for blood sugar balance so Mm -hmm. yeah lots of different things yeah so if something so in terms of a hepatoprotective herb, mm. so in this case like curcuma longa, mm. how, do, how do you interpret that in terms of hepatoprotective action? Uh, well, it, it tonifies and restores the hepatic cells mm. themselves. Um, it, it stimulates apoptosis. Oh, yeah. Yep, to keep them like... Recycling in yeah yep yep yep, um, and I guess and I guess would make them less prone to to damage and yeah yeah uh, well yeah. I think probably through that that apoptosis process yeah right so damaged cells are kicked yeah. off quickly rather yeah, than slowing yeah. down the game yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, oh there's also um, bile production oh gosh so, that's a huge <laughs> one yeah oh my gosh yeah, yeah. produces bile so that we can. Um, uh, digest our fats and yep. um, uh, and so that any kind of fatty waste product that's lingering around in our intestines can get, I guess, trapped. Yeah. And then excreted through our poops. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So we don't absorb too much cholesterol or triglycerides and yeah yeah mm, mm. yeah even our even some of our hormones rely on I think bile acid conjugation to be eliminated yeah, through yeah. the poop. Yeah. So bile, very important. Very, very <laughs> important. Um, and a lot of people, uh, I mean, naturopaths will be very familiar with this, but the, any person that is not a naturopath listening to this, um, you might think that the bile comes from the gallbladder. Mm. The gallbladder is a storage receptacle for bile yep. that then condenses and makes it uh, thicker. And, mm. and Bile is recycled really efficiently in the body. So it's yeah. it's absorbed uh, through the bowel and then back up in to the, into the liver. To the liver, yeah. Uh, and then excreted again. So it drips out from the liver into the, the gallbladder. Yeah. And then is, the gallbladder will then pump it out whenever we have a, a fatty meal, whenever yeah. it detects fat. Yeah, so there's signals all the time between... I guess it would well would probably start in the mouth, or brain, mouth, stomach. Yeah. Fats present, liver, gallbladder, yeah. 
Hello, Do the things. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Do the bile things. Fat coming. <laughs> yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, and, and that lipid metabolism is a really important function. Yep. Um, that's not something we want um, going awry. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, so curcuma or curcumin um, contributes to all of those things. Yeah. Um, not, uh, not to forget the antioxidant. Mm. Um, capabilities it's a really potent antioxidant yep um supporting the body's own antioxidant potential via um uh, supporting the hepatic cells so yep. so if the cells are functioning efficiently yeah um that antioxidant capacity is going to be increased yep um and it's actually suspected that the antioxidant and anti-inflammatory capabilities of curcumin come from its interaction with the gut microbiome. Oh, that's that's a phrase we're going to be hearing a lot more of. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I was really excited to to hear that. Uh, yeah, talking about it the other day. And this is the thing. Okay, so the, okay, 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 okay. So when we look at different formulas of turmeric and curcumin that you might find on the market and capsules and tablets and then taking the whole powder or just grating the herb into your foods in all of those different forms or taking it as a liquid tincture you need to consider is i guess is the whole component of the turmeric reaching the gut microbiome, the gut microbiome because yeah. Those microbiomes, microbes, microbes, (laughs) those microbes do a lot of work in terms of activating compounds, metabolizing things, synthesizing new beneficial compounds out of, Mm. you know, different kind of plant matter and polyphenols. Like, it's not just as simple as, oh, make sure it has uh, this form of curcumin, this patented form of this constituent, and make sure it's got the biopepperine in it. And, and yeah. you know, yeah. and make sure it's trademarked and, reg- you know, it's it's so much more than yeah. that. Yeah. So much more than that. An interesting segue from that. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess by this stage of our very first podcast, people will be realising how we go off on tangents. Yeah. <laughs> But this is an a- this is an do. ADHD friendly podcast. <laughs> we will go off on tangents as a permission slip for you to go off on tangents. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. But we'll try to circle back. And if we leave things unanswered, please ask us questions in the comments yeah. because um, that would be great, and we'd love to address them. Give us direction. Yeah. yeah. So um, <clears throat> I was talking to one of my lovely new friends in Bali about how. In Australia, there's a very strong focus on the evidence. And it's funny because in retail shops, people would mm. always say, but does it have the pepper in it? Yeah. Does it have Does it have um, <laughs> some oil in it? Because otherwise it's not bioavailable. Yeah. And I used to chuckle to myself and say, well, if you're having the whole herb, yeah. it is readily absorbed by the body uh-huh. anyway. Uh-huh. Yep. And then my friend said, oh, that's funny, because my mum always puts pepper in the jamu when she's making it. Right. And I said, why is that? 
and I was kind of expecting her to say, you know, some variation on it's better absorbed. And she said, I think she just likes the spicy taste. (laughs) (gasps) So I wonder whether, whether the research around the bioavailability because Mm. they they um they found that it wasn't well absorbed without a fat source to deliver it and Mm. the black pepper to uh, open up some of the um gut cells the uh, the tight junctions yep hyperpermeability of the gut yeah um because whether that research was based around the traditional use right. of those things, because clearly it was having a benefit. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just to come back to the gut microbiome, mm. there is some very recent research that that actually shows that you know some of these anti-inflammatory antioxidant actions come directly from its interaction with the microbiome. Right. Oh. And so maybe that's the more powerful aspect. In terms of unlocking the, yeah. I guess, maximising the bioavailability. Hey. Yeah. So to summarise that point, do we make sure we cook with pepper if we're using turmeric in our cooking or no? Is it is it <laughs> unnecessary? Is it just a fad? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Yep. And yeah, I did neglect to say that I did throw in a couple of peppercorns. <laughs> when you made the jam. <laughs> when I made the jam. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, there, something's nice. Whenever I'm making something with turmeric powder, yeah. I always make sure to put some degree of olive oil and some degree of pepper. It just, yeah. something about that combination just feels right. Yeah. But don't be, I guess, I guess don't be fooled in that there's only one way, one right right way to make the most out of consuming turmeric, that there's only one correct supplement, that, you know, one form is better than another. Like, there's much more nuance. I always think this is a food that has been consumed for centuries. Yeah. And has has been used in, as a medicine for centuries Mm -hmm. in multiple cultures. Mm-hmm. If humans couldn't absorb the benefits, would we still be using, using it? Yeah. I, I, I just can't imagine that if we went back two centuries, yeah. that people are going, well, you've got to add pepper. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that it, it, the fact that it lasted through and through many different cultures, you know, yeah. it doesn't, I mean, I don't know about you, but to me, the taste of turmeric is... I can very much take it or leave it. If I put too much in a yeah. meal, I'm like, oh, I've done something wrong. Like, it's, yeah. it's not like it's, oh, my God, so good tasting. Like, how could anyone neglect to eat it, right? Yeah, yeah. So the fact that it lasted yeah. through through such a long time and I guess more of, more of just a quick rant, you know, this, dare I say, very, very Western need, this very industrial revolution need to have to know why a plant is beneficial to health and to have to identify the key constituents that confer the benefits and to take something that's whole, that has a benefit to whole humans, right? (laughs) Yeah. 
and then take it apart and dissect it and go, no, well, well what part of it is working? And yeah. it's like... <sighs> so reductionist. Oh, very reductionist. But I suppose when we think about how research is done, yeah. A, you have to limit the confounders so that you can prove that the yeah. thing is doing the action yeah. in the person or yeah. group population. And the other thing is... If you can, if you can extract a single constituent that does all of the work, mm. and I don't believe that that's ever the case, yeah, then you've got a product that you can sell for money that yeah. can pay for the research. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because is that the thing? And no stress if you you don't know. I just feel like you'd have a better idea than I do. Is that the thing in terms of uh, patenting? herbal medicine it can only be an extract of a plant like you can't put a patent on a whole plant hey no you can't like you can't take carver and go no here's how we're gonna no particularly if it's got a traditional right use right so Um, when they take yeah the curcumin out of the turmeric make it into curcumin c3 or mariva complex or you know the different names that there are yeah they can then say yep this is our form of curcumin and i think think it's actually more about the process of extraction mm. than it is about the product the, the so it's it's curcumin extracted in this method oh. that gives them the ability to patent right. i think i think and i'd love to know if anybody's got more information on that yeah that would but be I'm, awesome to know i suspect that that's probably it because the constituent itself is still part of a herb that's been around for years. It's like, like they've ever invented it. Because right. a patent is around an invention. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. So if you've invented a process yep. that efficiently extracts as much as possible of a thing from a plant. Yeah. I think that's how you can that's patent That's how you patent it. it. Yeah. Or if you can, like, you, I guess you can see, like, liposomal or phytosomal yeah. forms of it. And that would be... An invention. An invention. Yeah. 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 Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh. Mm. So, um, and that was just turmeric. So when you add ginger or yep. gingers mm-hmm. or gal and gals, mm-hmm. they have their own properties. They also have the oils in mm. there that the turmeric needs, if we were talking about absorption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um and again, there's some really interesting research coming out um, about the actions of ginger and how it interacts with the gut microbiome. Ah, uh, there you go. <laughs> Question, Julie, does it always come back to the gut? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Everything comes back to the gut. Yes, it does. And I may be a little bit biased. But we'll allow it. We'll allow it. Yes, yes. And I'm just going to say, I'm currently doing my master's mm-hmm. um, and I'm in the stream of human microbiome and health, um, integrative gastroenterology and clinical hypnotherapy. So, yeah, gut microbiome is a particular passion of mine. Yeah. Tell me, Corinda, oh. what's your particular area of special interest oh we're we're throwing this in there yeah i thought it'd be a good time for it my particular point of passion if we were to alliterate that uh is women's health women's health in the realm of hormones um sexual health uh reproductive health 
So if it's related to your uterus, your ovaries, and how products of those ovaries affect any part of your body, I'm interested. Mm. So, and, and particularly I love the crossover with how our sex hormones like estrogen and progesterone interact with, I mean, all aspects of our body, but particularly with our, our neurochemistry, with our mm. neurotransmitters and then affect our mood and our, and other hormone levels, like mm. what's going on in our adrenal glands and with our dopamine and our serotonin and our cortisol, I'm insulin, you know, I'm very, mm. I'm very about that crossover. So mm. things like PCOS, PMS, mm. love, 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 mm. love, love. I particularly love and wish I'd known you in my younger days. We've we've had this conversation multiple times. But the way that you acknowledge and honour your your body's cycle mm. in terms of uh, managing energy and um you know, just just organizing your time around your cycle yeah so that you're always working to your strengths yeah and allowing your body the time to rest when it needs to rest and yeah and and i love that and and when i'm seeing women who are you know perimenopausal they've got elderly parents that they're looking after and they've got you know sort of adult children who may be still at home or they've got teenage children they're they're at the peak of their career yeah they are running on with all cylinders firing and burning out yeah yeah and i try try to explain how important it is at this particular time where where the brain is rewiring yeah that you actually need to pull back and to slow down and to you know allow your body to make the changes it needs to make yeah and yeah. yeah, connect with a cyclical rhythm of nature to yeah. be a bit more in flow. Also, thank you for mentioning that because in my whole spiel, I didn't even say menstrual cycle once. Yeah. But that is, but that is the crux. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll reflect on that later in my own time. But that is yes, that is the crux of what I do. Even in my really solid like naturopathic work, mm. there's always a degree of menstrual cycle awareness. Learning yeah. about the phases exactly what you said where the strengths are where we need to honor our needs a little bit more things Mm. like that and Mm. and then tied into that fertility awareness so being aware of our fertile window and using that as a means of um conception support so helping to helping people fall pregnant and as well as contraception contraceptive support so helping Mm. people avoid pregnancy without chemical intervention without chemical fake hormone intervention so yes i've a couple of really big passions of mine um yes the menstrual cycle is the answer to a lot of our questions yeah. if i may say yeah. if you have one if you have one and yes. if you don't have one follow the moon follow the moon <laughs> yeah, exactly because we're still cyclical beings yeah and we we still have seasonal cycles we have diurnal cycles yeah we have monthly cycles and to actually tie that all together, mm. the Balinese people and the moon ceremonies that yes. they do. Oh, that is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. They they celebrate the moon. When it's a full moon, they they go to temple at night and they look at the moon and they have ceremonies oh. around the moon and they honour it. And then every 15 days, so at the... 
half of a cycle, yep. they will do the same kind of celebration. So they're always um, working, celebrating. Um, their lives are revolving around the moon. That's so awesome. I know. And I'm sure there would be a lot of kind of biodynamic maybe farming practices or even just garden local gardening practices in terms of being aware of what the moon's doing and how that can affect growth and mm, mm. when you know good time to plant seeds or good time to harvest or you know yeah. different things like that I mean oh. I don't know that because I didn't ask those questions and I should say which I should have said up front I am not an expert on Bali, mm-hmm. on Balinese people, on Balinese medicine, mm-hmm. on their culture. These are just my observations mm-hmm. from three weeks in Bali, um, where I left a little bit of my heart. Yeah. And I'm going to have to go back and get it now. Yeah. <laughs> Pick up the pieces of your yeah. heart, but also leave some new pieces of your heart around so yeah, you that's can keep right. going back. <laughs> Absolutely. And because yeah. there's... Because... There's a nuance to everything. So you can't be an expert in Balinese culture. Because no. Even with the general facts and the consensuses, the consensi, you're, there's always going to be nuance. There's always going to be the grey area. Yeah. I feel like that's a good place to wrap it up. I think it probably is. Look for the nuance. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Comment. Comment. Please. Please comment. Follow. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> We'd love to know what you think. (laughs) And what you'd like to hear about. I mean, we've always got something to talk about, but if there's any things that you'd like to hear us riff on or investigate, we can, as I'm sure we've demonstrated, we have a foot in the world of nature and hippie living and uh, the unknown, and we've got a foot in the research and the evidence and the clinical. So we cover it all here at the Nuanced Naturopaths. Yeah. (laughs) See you next time. Bye.